The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm so glad you're here this morning. We got some work to do, so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to uh, grab them and turn with me to the book of Titus. And we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2. Now, we have heard a lot over the last couple weeks about leadership in the church. And uh, in our text this morning, Paul is going to make a a shift. He's going to make a large shift here. In verse 1, Paul says, Titus, as for you, he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. See, Paul's primary concern here is the truth. It is doctrine. It is his primary concern. Regardless, Paul says, of what's being taught out there, regardless of what is being said by the Judaizers, by the circumcision party that we looked at last week, regardless of what they're doing, Paul says, as for you, Titus, teach this. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, here's the shift, and here's why this matters. Paul now is going to be talking not just to the leaders of the church, but in chapter 2 we see this shift where now he is talking directly to us together as the church members of the church, to people just like you. He talks about older men in verse 2, older women, verse 3, young women, verses 4 and 5, young men, verses 6 through 8, bond servants, 9 and 10. And as we consider these groups that Paul's about to look at, the thing we need to realize is that it's all-encompassing. That as Paul gets into the, this, this, these groups would have covered Everyone in the church, no matter your your gender, your age, your socioeconomic status, it is you. It is all-encompassing. This covers every single believer in the church, and no one is left out of what we are about to read. Paul makes this shift here. It's big. I love the way, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's a commentator. His name is Van Oosterzee. You don't know if I'm right or wrong, so I'm just going to own it. Oosterzee said this in his commentary. He says, no condition, listen to this, no condition and no period of life is to remain unaffected by the sanctifying influence of the gospel. That, amen to that. I mean, no condition, no period of life is to remain unaffected by the sanctifying influence of the gospel. And as we look at chapter 2, what we see is that no person is left out of this. No condition, no period of life is to remain unaffected by the work of the gospel. That means no person, man or woman, young or old, is exempt from the call of the gospel and the call of this text. This scripture was written to members of the church in order that they may live out the gospel, in order that they may live out the gospel in the world, but not of it, in a way that the world would see them and be drawn to the gospel. That's what we see. So as we dig into this this morning, my prayer is that we're, that we're able to see the call that we have received as members of the church that we have received together. Paul tells Titus here, look, I know that the culture around you is going to be hostile to this. 
I know that there are those, as we read and uh, as we walk through in the last couple weeks, that there are those even from within who are hostile to this. But Paul says in verse 1, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what does that look like? Now, before we get into verse 2, I want to give away the big idea from this text right up front. Um, The big idea here, as we said, and we've seen this all throughout Titus already, Paul is deeply concerned with sound doctrine, as he calls it. We saw it in in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. uh, We saw it in verse 9. We see false gospel in 10 through 16. It's everywhere because doctrine matters. And this is why, as we talked through the last couple weeks, it's important for leaders of the church to be able to both proclaim and protect the gospel because it matters. But let me just tell you, let me, sound doctrine, the gospel, it's not all about head knowledge only. It's, it's not all about just knowing all the right things. See, sound doctrine, believing and knowing the truth, church, it will change the way you live. Believing and knowing the gospel will change the way you live your life. Sound doctrine, in other words, leads to sound living. Another way to say this is the gospel is about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. I don't know if you've heard these words. You know, you can put them on your mirror. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. So orthodoxy means the right or correct belief. And orthopraxy means the right or correct behavior or actions or life. So orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. Right belief leads to right action. Here's the reason I start with this this morning. So this text is going to call us to action. And as we engage in this, we need to keep this in the right perspective. Um, It's not just about you leaving this room and going, oh, I need to go do a bunch of stuff. It's it's not just about you, you know, kind of going through the motions. And it's not just about you getting head knowledge either. That you would just know all the right things. No, this is about the gospel literally, sound doctrine, literally changing us and changing our lives together. The fact that Jesus died and through his work you are made new, new creation. The gospel changes everything, and that includes us, and that includes our community. And church, listen, when we read chapter 2, this gives us a glimpse of what a gospel community should look like. And wow, what a beautiful and incredible picture this is. Paul starts, let's just drop in, he starts with the older men, and he says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in love, in, in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Now, one thing here first, with both the older men and the, the older women, um, there is no specific age here given. There's not a, uh, a line that you have to get to and be like, younger? I am now an older. You, there's not, you don't see that here. There's not like an older man mark that you need to get to. But here in the context, in, in this ancient 
church of Crete. Um, these men, these older men, would have been the men who were just further down life's road. Who were further down life's road. It, the point here is not their specific age. The point here is that these men had life experiences. The point here is that these men were further down the road. And, and here Paul gives this message to Titus. And he says, Titus, exhort and encourage these older men in the church to look behind them and to do four things. The first is to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. This is a word for temperate. Um, it, it's, it's having clarity of mind and judgment, able to see things clearly. Uh, I like it when it's translated as sober-minded because it's that idea of sober of mind. Uh, not like one clouded, um, but sober, able to make good judgments. Second is he's to be dignified. So sober-minded, dignified. This is a dignified, it, it's worthy of respect. Not frivolous or immature, but to have a reputation of respect that he is worthy of honor and dignity. And then third is self-control. I would argue that this is our primary characteristic. We are going to see this thing all over the place. Self-control. It is everywhere and it is essential for the Christian life. It is both needed and attainable through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to read more about this, but I do want to give you this quote. This is by Hayne Griffin. He says, self-control should be a distinguishing feature of Christian character, consistently practiced, and I love this, within the home, within the church, and among non-believers or in the community. I love this. This should mark us uh, as believers. So Paul says these older men, they need to be sober-minded. They need to be dignified. They need to be self-controlled. And then lastly, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Um, this drives us to consider our personal faith. Our personal faith that these older men would be sound. I love, by the way, the word steadfast in this, this text. It's a word for endurance. Um, that through all of the ups and the downs, through everything that life brings, through all that these men would go through, all of it, that they would walk with endurance, that they would finish well. I think of 2 Timothy where Paul says, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It's about endurance. And these older men were to model what that looks like. What it looks like to run well in the later stages of the race. When the legs are tired. These older men would model and demonstrate what it looks like to finish well. To finish well. I want to tell you, if you're here right now and you have someone in your life like this, you are blessed. You are blessed. I honestly, we have a few in our church that come to my mind, and we are blessed. We are blessed. The older men, because of the gospel, they are to be self, sober minded, dignified, self control, sound in faith, love, and endurance. 
that it would lead to gospel fruit, that their orthodoxy, right belief, would lead them to right action. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. And here in Titus 2, Paul shares what this would look like in the life of these older men. Now let's shift and let's go to our older women. Again, there's no age mark that you're young, older, same as for the men, but he says in verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. Let's unpack this together. The first word that I'd like to dwell on here is older women likewise. Likewise. This is an important word here because the older women and the older men share a commonality. That's why it's likewise. Why is that? Because they share the same exact aim. Disciple making. That they would make disciples of the next generation. They have the same disciple making aim. And so Paul here points them to very similar things. And he says likewise. They share the same aim. And Paul says they are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. This is very similar to the older man's command to be sober-minded and dignified. These are very similar, church. Very, very similar here. The older women would act in such a way that they would be worthy of respect. They would live their lives as examples of dignity. Just as the men were commanded to be sober-minded not letting their mind be clouded. Well, the women here are given a very similar but more specific command to not only just be sober-minded, but he calls them out and says, do not be slaves to much wine, that it would cloud your mind, impair your judgment, that you would lose respect. This is very similar, very similar here to the older men. And it's very similar because they share the same purpose, and that's discipling the generation that's coming up. And then lastly, we see the word slander here. This is huge. All throughout Scripture, we see the dangers of the tongue. We see the dangers of that the, the, the damage that the tongue can cause. And Paul says here, women, use your tongue to build up, to edify, but refuse to speak against anyone behind their backs. That is slander. This is huge. Um, we are looking at what life looks like if we live it together in the gospel in a church community. And Paul says, in that place, there is no place for slander. Paul says, older women, do not lead the way in gossip. Do not lead the way in slander. Do not lead the way in that kind of talk or be known for that. The church is not hiring for the church gossip. It's not needed. And Paul says there's no place for it in the, in the church. And so older women, lead the way in that. Model what it looks like to control your tongue. Model what it looks like to build up with your words. And then Paul says that they are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. I, I want to ask an odd question maybe is, here, when Paul says that they are to teach what is good, what is he talking about? What's the content of that teaching? When Paul says teach them, teach them, what are they teaching? 
When we see the word teach in Scripture, I think we can run to one or two extremes. I want to call them out because I think this is important. When we read this, on the one hand, we can run over here and say, look at all this talk about sound doctrine. Um, Look at all this talk about protecting the gospel. These women, when it says teach them, they are to teach them the truths of the gospel. They are to teach them sound doctrine that the younger women will see and understand the gospel as they are taught by the older women. When you say teach, you're talking about doctrine. Okay, so on this hand, I would say you're absolutely right. Absolutely true. But then you have this other hand over here that says, wait, 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 wait. Look at all the practical things in this verse. We're talking here about the home. We're talking here about the family and kids and husband. We're talking here about practical things. So when Paul says, teach what is good, he's not talking about doctrine. He's talking about practical living. About life skills. And over here, I think you're exactly right. So, What is it? Is it teaching of doctrine or teaching of practical? Church, it's yes, 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 yes. It is yes. It is absolutely doctrine and it is absolutely practice because they cannot and should never be separated. When When we separate them, that's a road to legalism. There's no divide between what is sacred and what is secular. Doctrine and practice are intertwined. Right doctrine leads to right practice. And what Paul is saying here is older women know and teach the gospel in such a way that it flows out and that the younger women will see the way that it works itself out in life. Teach the gospel and teach what a gospel life looks like. I want to ask you then, do you have anyone in your life who's teaching you like that? If you do, you are blessed, church. But this is what the church should be all about. Paul says, teach what is good, so train the younger women. Let's talk about these young women for a moment. Because here's what all of that's going to look like. We see a couple things. First, we see to love their husbands and children. That these older women will teach and train and model what it looks like, what love looks like in the home. And that these young women will love their husbands well, love their kids well, and that their home will be a home of love. After this, he unpacks this, and he, again, here's our word, self-control. He says, be self-controlled. This is, again, not just for the men. He directs us all to self-control. This is so important. He says, older women, you need to model this, train this. Younger women, you need to walk in self-control. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you, be self-controlled. Next, he says, pure. And in this context, the word pure is a reference to the marital relationship. To be self-controlled and pure are typically linked together that the younger women would love and lead their home in a way that they are self-controlled and pure. Next, Paul says, working at home. Literally, this means to be busy in the home. Um, Now, 
pause. Uh, this is 2019. Um, 2019. And there are many who would read this and say, Paul, how, how dare you? Paul is definitely not woke. If you don't know what woke means, Google it later. Google it later. But he's not woke here. This doesn't make sense. As we read this, as you read that through those lenses, you can think, well, you can get this image of like a woman just kind of at home in slavery in her own kitchen with kids climbing and and you get this like kind of heavy-handed, um, trust me, if you read articles on this, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I want you to hear me. That kind of reading of this text just has no support. It has absolutely no support in this text. In the ancient city of, of, of Crete, the home was by and large the woman's domain, not derogatory to say this, stating what it is. And no one in this church would have received this letter from Paul and thought, well, Paul, how dare you? No one. Why am I saying this? Because Paul, I need you to hear me, was meeting this church where they were. He was meeting these women where they were. In other words, this is not a heavy-handed text to tell a woman what she can or cannot do that is reading several layers into this. What this is, is that this is meeting the woman where they were as Paul addresses them right where they were. And I want to read this to you because I think this is just beautiful and I think it sums it up. This is by a man named Newt Larson. Um, and he says, he says this in his commentary on this, te- on this passage, whether a woman works outside the home or not, she is to bring special grace and beauty to her home. More than any other member of the family, the woman tends to set the tone of, or for the household. Paul is commending women who understand the importance and high priority which God has designed into the roles of mother, wife, and homemaker. The reason I wanted to read to you this quote is because of this. Listen to this. This is huge. Society rests not only on politics and commerce, but more critically upon the home. Where each member of society learns respect for authority, values and relational skills and duty to neighbor and nation, and I will add to this the gospel. That will preach. I mean, that is so good. That is the importance of the home, and that is what Paul is directing our attention to, is the importance of the home. That's what Paul is putting before these younger women, that they would love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working in the home, and next he says, kind, Kind. Um, There are few things more powerful than simple kindness. Be, be kind. In our busy world with our families and schedules and commitments and stresses and everything, let us never fail to be kind. To see God's, see people the way God sees them. Knowing that God first showed his kindness toward you, And then letting that then fuel you to show kindness towards others. 
Lastly, he, he says, and submissive to their own husbands. Listen, although Paul, he doesn't take a real deep dive into marriage here in this text. This is a, he just kind of skims it, but he does in other places. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, Colossians 3, Paul gives this instruction to biblical marriage and how it is to operate. And in all, in each of these, submission and love are key. Submission and love are key. I'm about to say something that might be controversial for us today, but it shouldn't be. God created us, male and female, in his image. He created us male and he created us female in his image as image bearers, as sons and daughters of God, equal before him. What I mean by this is your maleness or femaleness, the fact that you're a boy or the fact that you're a girl, does not make God love you any more or any less. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3, in Christ, male or female, it does not matter now. We are equal. Listen, church, the equality, though, does not negate the distinctiveness. And what I mean by this is God created us equal as men and women. And he created us for each other in a way that would be complementary toward each other. And we see the beauty of this in both the church and in the home, not in some abusive or heavy-handed way, but in submission and love together. And here Paul directs these young women to their home. It's a call to fight for marriages and the health of our homes because this matters it matters. And lastly, he, he addresses the young men. And here we go again. Likewise, urge the young men to what? To be self-controlled. What is repeated is remembered. What is repeated is important. And that is repeated. Be self-controlled. What this means is no matter who you are, how old you are, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. This is huge for us here. And then next, he shifts his focus to now word and deed. And he starts with deed. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In other words, if one wanted to know what it looks like to live out your faith, if one wanted to know what that looks like, let them be able to look at your life. Model the gospel and model a gospel life. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 that says, follow me as I follow Jesus. <laughs> follow me as I follow Jesus. This is a call to model in such a way that the world will see you and they will be drawn to the gospel. Let them see your gospel life and be drawn to the gospel. But then next he moves from deed to word. He says, and in your teaching, show what? Show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. He brings it back to sound doctrine, integrity or honesty, dignity, respect that cannot be condemned. Let your gospel life be a model and let your gospel speech be sound, young men. 
And Paul says, so that an opponent, (laughs) I love this, maybe put the shame, because they just don't have anything evil to say about you. That is... That is awesome. That an opponent of the gospel will hear the gospel and be put to shame because they just don't have anything evil to say about you. That is awesome. And what a glimpse of what life together, what life as the church should look like when the truth of the gospel sinks in and it changes everything. When it changes everything. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. And in the church, commi- church community, we are committed to that. I want to end this morning with a simple call and with an application step that is going to be very, very practical. Um, what we are able to see all throughout this text is the importance of discipleship. And notice again, we said this at the beginning, but the call in Titus 2 was not just for elders. It, was for, it wasn't just for the professionals or the pastors to be doing all the discipling. No, this, chapter 2, is a call for you for the church. And this is a direct pushback, just a direct pushback against some of the contemporary church culture. I think um, the current state of the church seems to be more like, not always, but seems to be more like an audience who gathers to cheer on the select few who are on the court. That the congregation comes together and we cheer on the professionals as they disciple. I'm not saying this across the board. I'm just saying that this is a common church culture that we fight against. But all throughout Scripture, that is just turned on its head. It's just turned completely on its head. In fact, a more accurate example is to completely turn that sucker around. A more accurate portrayal is that the congregation are, in Scripture's terms, the players on the field and the professionals, the pastors, the elders are called to encourage, to equip, to train, to cheer. In this text, in other words, Paul places discipleship in the hands of the church and puts us in the game. All of us. This is a call toward discipleship, and specifically, this is a call for us to be aware of those ahead and those behind. To, for those who are further down the road to then look back and to pour into those who are behind us. In other words, this church is a call. Titus 2 is a call to cross-generational discipleship. And let me tell you, I can give you, and I have heard hundreds of reasons why this won't work. Why discipleship relations between those who are young and those who are older will not work, cannot work. Man, our schedules are just so busy. I mean, life's too busy. When is that going to happen? Young people, they're just flaky. Old people, they're just grumpy. Young people, they just don't know how to parent anymore. They just, their kids are hooligans. And if I invite them into my home, our home will never be the same. Everything will be destroyed. 
Older people are so judgmental and they have no idea what it's like. It's like they've forgotten. I don't want to bring my kids and feel the judgment of I'm not doing this right. No, thank you. Young people want to be with young people. Older people want to be with older people. We have this pull toward what is called homogeny. And what that means is that we are pulled to be with people who look like us, act like us, think like us, smell like us, who are in the same age and stage as us. We are pulled toward homogeny. Yet, yet, as we see in Scripture and as we see in texts like ours, the Christian community is not a homogenous community. It is beautifully and wonderfully diverse. Beautifully and wonderfully diverse. It is diverse because we have much to learn from each other. We have much to teach each other. I don't know if you would consider yourself this morning a younger or an older person. I have no idea, and I will not make that call for you. Chances are, though, you're probably both. Chances are, right now, there is someone who is behind you, and there is someone who is ahead of you. And although you might be drawn to people like you, this text is calling us to think differently. To think about this differently. So a few weeks ago, we had our vision dinner, and um, we gave what we called our discipleship pathway. And, and um, the reality is we know that Jesus has called us to make disciples. We know this. We know that's our calling. That is our mission. Well, our pathway is the way that as a church, we want to accomplish that. We want to live that. We want to get involved in that mission. And if you, were, if you were there, you remember our pathway is fairly simple here at Stone Oak, and it looks kind of like an hourglass. Yeah, there it is. looks kind of like an hourglass. Um, and I want us to consider, just for a moment, how deeply this matters for us, this text. And what I'd like to do is just kind of zoom into the top of that hourglass, um, so the big idea that we have as a church is that discipleship is going to move us from the big to the small. And it's going to move us from big to small. And so at the top, we have BG. We, those are our big gatherings. This is what we're doing right now, that we come together big, and we worship Jesus together. But our goal, our heart is to move us down one more, and that is to CG or community groups. That we would move down, grow together in the gospel. These are our groups that meet throughout the week in homes across our community. Groups of 8 to 14-ish um, who come together. It's wonderful. But then our, our, our prayer, our hope is that we will even take one more step down in PG, which is our para groups. These are groups of three men or three women who come together for intentional discipleship relationships. Now, here's the reality. I'm not going to go into the depths of all this because I want to apply this to our text real quick because at each of these stages, each one of them, our temptation is going to be toward homogeny. That your para group will be with people who look like you, think like you, and who are in your own age and stage. 
that your community group will be with people who look like you, who think like you, and who are in your own age and stage. That ultimately, even our big church gatherings would start to look like you, think like you, be everyone who is in your own age and stage. And listen, I want to be very careful with my words here, because I am not saying that it is bad or negative if your para group is with two other people who are in your same age and stage. I'm also not saying that it is necessarily a bad thing if your community group are all people of your age and stage. Here's what I am saying, though. If every one of your groups, if every circle that you are in, if every group that you are in is only with people of your age and stage, there might be a problem. It will be very difficult to live out the truth of this text, church, if we are not intentional about stretching ourselves to get ourselves into cross-generational discipleship relationships. And oh, will this take effort Because hear me, older people, their kids are crazy. I would definitely recommend putting up breakable things if you have them into your home. It will make the parents happy that you did that. And younger people, (laughs) your schedules, I know they're busy. I know it would be easier to retreat. Here's the call, though. Older people, humble yourselves and make disciples. Younger people, humble yourselves and make disciples. It is worth it. My encouragement for you this morning is to be intentional because, hear me, your natural drift will be toward homogeny, will be, will be away from the truth of this text. If you're not intentional about this, you'll look around and you won't see any younger or older. You'll just see you in a mirror. And that's not what a gospel community looks like. We are called to be diverse and beautifully diverse, and it takes us fighting for that together. So I want to encourage you this morning to take that step. Let's fight for it because it's worth it. Let me pray for us. Lord. I thank you for your word and how applicable it is, how true it is for us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us when we, for whatever reason, when we don't live out this command to make disciples. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for those, for us who have not ever looked back to consider what discipling the next generation would look like. I pray that you would forgive us for those who have not been willing to have someone pour into our lives and to be discipled. Lord, your word is so clear. You have called us to be a community together who have been changed by the truth of the gospel in such a way that it lives out, it seeps out into our relationships together. Lord, we just received such a wonderful picture of what a gospel community looks like. And I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to live this out. 
that you would help us begin to survey our lives and say, how can I be engaged in disciple-making? How can I pour into someone behind or call out to someone ahead? What does that look like? I pray that you would give us wisdom now on how to let this change us, to change our paragroups, our community groups, to change our church. We thank you for the diversity that you have given us from the beginning here at Stone Oak. But Lord, we want to fight for it. So Lord, give us the wisdom to do that and the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.